again to yet another episode of the Better Value, Better Business podcast. And thank you for continuing to listen. I am your host, Alex Stacey. And today I want to look at the concept of customer experience management. In another episode, I will look at experience aims, which goes into deeper levels of customer experience. But I will term this episode customer experience management to talk about practical management solutions to issues that customers experience. Firstly, let's look at likely context where this arises. So this is typically in service situations such as hotels, hospitals, education, and where service is a core part of your value offering. And this is because services sectors are offering an experience through their service, hence the term customer experience management, sort of updated from the term customer service. This can also be software as a service. For instance, my broadband provider describes the provision of broadband as a service-enabled service by its specific settings enabled router, which is the product it sends to me. The service is to provide seamlessly reliable internet connectivity. But I am reminded of this at the moment as my internet is down. But it isn't their fault, apparently, as they rely on BT OpenReach. I evaluate their service through my experience of it, i.e. my experience is subjective. I evaluate their service subjectively, how it relates to me, and therefore it may differ from what the service provider thinks they are managing to provide. Hence, we use the term customer experience, as it is the experience that is evaluated and what leads to dissatisfaction or satisfaction. And it is those differences between what the firm or organisation thinks it is providing and what the consumer is experiencing, which need to be identified if there is any genuine desire for any real improvement. Firstly, it might be helpful to give some examples of things that are unsatisfactory and then later look at how they are evaluated and then categorise service failures, which will help with solving them. Um, I will also look at some ways of measuring customer experience satisfaction. So let's imagine you are visiting a hospital. You arrive 20 minutes before your appointment, but you have difficulty finding a parking space. Then you have to walk a long way to reception with your bad hip. Finally, you find the reception who directs you to a place where you can wait. You get seen 30 minutes late. Or visiting a hotel, the pillows are uncomfortable and you find the kettle doesn't work. You contact housekeeping about the kettle, but you don't get a reply about replacing it. Or you are on a flight and the baggage handlers break your much-loved guitar and you can't speak to anyone about the problem because it is late at night and the next day when you do, you are given the runaround. Conventional customer experience management is mainly used for customer-facing operations diagnosis. The organisation asks themselves, what are we responsible for? What are the specifications that we need? What can be done better? And this can be tackled from several discipline points of view, for instance, from lean thinking and mapping processes, which attempt to make delivery more effective. 
Much of the questioning in feedback forms and surveys seems to be around how well done was the delivery, were the employees effective and responsive. For instance, a measurement from one to seven on how helpful the staff at reception were. So numbers are really nice. They are unambiguous and have all the same granularity, which means they can be processed together and have functions performed upon them. So organisations can produce cumulative scores of how well they are performing and compare this across time to track improvements they think they have made to their delivery of service. In the example above, you would want to give a middling or low mark to finding a parking space a high mark to the reception, but a low mark to being seen on time. In the hotel, you want to indicate you are unhappy about the uncomfortable pillows and the broken kettle and the unresponsive housekeeping. Organisations which use the customer's experience to improve their services are effectively utilising the customer as product service testers for free. One of the dimensions on which customers judge service is responsiveness. So if you can quickly act on customer feedback, you can turn around their evaluation. It is in organisations' interests, therefore, to implement feedback gathering systems which monitor, preferably in real time, the customer's experience. For instance, being asked by a waiter if your meal is satisfactory a few moments after you have started eating. Some organisations have apps or encourage you to send feedback via WhatsApp so they can correct things quickly. I have come across some software that does this and notifies the appropriate manager who can get the solution actioned. Just imagine if you are in charge of a large hospital and could use this to improve service delivery in a timely way and thus affect patient outcomes through just small continuous improvements. This is useful for technical quality or outcomes, things that are relatively quantifiable aspects and includes what the customer received, knowledge of service provider, standard of equipment and speed of service. And these are relatively easy to measure by customers and organisations, so it can form an accessible basis for judging service quality. But there are also process-related functional qualities, which are how the service was delivered and can be about accessibility, appearance, atmosphere and staff attitudes. This is harder to gauge as it is more of a subjective measure. But, I hear you say, if we measure the quality of the service by the subjective experience of the customer, then we are up against customer-defined standards and their expectations, and you will sometimes get tricky customers who expect impossible levels of service. It is therefore useful to firstly find out what are the expectations of your customer before you ask them what their perceptions are. For instance, an agree-disagree statement scale of 1 to 7 that an excellent hospital will be completely clean followed by this hospital is completely clean statement. If you expected the catering in the hospital to be of a very high standard, you could be very disappointed with what you get compared to someone who doesn't expect gourmet cuisine. And each type of person would then answer the perceptions question very differently. So in what is termed a serve qual style exploration, 
the expectations are subtracted from the perceptions to get the real number score, which we think of as service quality. Interesting, isn't it? Which is one of the problems with ratings such as Trustpilot and Google. When you aim to deliver beyond expectations, this is sometimes termed delighters in Carnot models. Carnot is named after Dr. Noriaki Carnot, who identified and created the model. There are three factors. A basic factor, which is something that a customer expects to be there. The next is a performance factor. It could be more is better, or faster is better, or easier is better. These are what you need to identify and improve upon. And finally, a delighter is something that customers do not expect but may increase delight. For example, if you are given a rose in a restaurant. This relies on creativity. Market research is of little use here, at least ahead of time. You cannot ask the customer, what don't you expect? But a warning is that the Carnot factors are not static and what may be a delighter this year may migrate towards being a basic in a few years' time. And what may be a delighter in one part of the world may be a basic in another. So it is crucial to keep up to date with changing customer expectations. If you dissatisfy customers by not meeting their expectations, you can still recover. But if you dissatisfy customers by not meeting their basic needs, you will lose them. The kind of gap between expectation versus perception can be categorised usefully so it can be acted upon or explored further. There is the gap between expected service from the company and the company perceptions of consumer expectations. And within that are different kinds of problems. The knowledge gap for instance, inadequate marketing research, or the research isn't focused on quality, or not utilising the results of the marketing research. And this could include lack of upward communication, a lack of interaction between management and customers, insufficient communication between frontline and managers, or too many layers between frontline and top management. There might be insufficient relationship focus through a lack of market segmentation focusing on transactions or new customers. It could be from standards. For instance, it could be through poor service design or an inappropriate service scape. For example, a dirty table in a restaurant. Another kind of gap is that of delivery, which could stem from poor HR policies such as ineffective recruitment, role ambiguity or conflict, poor technology job fit, lack of empowerment, control, teamwork, remuneration. It could come from customers who do not fulfil their roles and responsibilities. The final category of gaps is that of communications, not managing customer expectations and of over-promising. So that would be an awful lot of questions to ask if a full audit were to take place. If you were to design a simple feedback form in which you wanted to get some useful information, you would be advised to consider RATER. That's R-A-T-E-R. I have already mentioned responsiveness, but these are f- there are four other dimensions that consumers will judge a service on, and these are reliability, that's the dependability and accurate performance elements, assurance, which is competence, courtesy, credibility and security. 
tangibles. These are the appearance of physical elements and empathy, easy access, good communications and customer understanding. So asking about these and acting on these is a must. Having key performance indicators is obviously a good thing to measure how you are improving over time and to encourage you to do more. Here are a few more. A CSAT, which is a customer satisfaction score, often seen as three or five emoji style faces, a green smiley one, a yellow neutral one and a red sad one. There is the net promoter score, which measures overall customer loyalty towards your brand. And there is a customer effort score, which has three choices of easy, normal and difficult. And it measures a customer's level of effort while interacting with your brand. Why is it important for your customers to be happy? Because happy customers will tell six or more people, but unhappy customers will tell 15 and more people. 97% of potential buyers are influenced by reviews to buy or walk out. This saves you money on finding new customers if your existing customers are evangelizing for you. Being, being realistic, however, when it comes to the bespoke versus mass-produced offering, that will come down to what you decide your niche is in your market. But there are numerous tweaks about the quality of how well you offer your service, which don't give away the shop, but convey a bespoke, personalised relationship with your customer. This involves customer listening and attentiveness. One of the points where this can fail is that frontline staff are not empowered or trained sufficiently to take action to make that relationship work. And this was one of the gaps I mentioned earlier. There seems to be a phenomenon whereby once businesses have established the failure points, employees are given a strict script to follow where no initiative is deemed to be needed. I speak from my own experience with one particular client where for the first few projects I was given a lot of leeway to listen to customers and solve their problems. From my experience and solutions on that, a training manual was produced to give out to new employees which told them exactly what to do and how to solve issues. They didn't need to use their initiative any longer as for the majority of cases, the service was satisfactory. And that is where an organisation has to use its judgement about the remaining customers who don't fit into that service. Is it worth the extra effort to keep them on side? I personally like to capture the causes of that dissatisfaction. This customer listening could be the source of a new service you might offer, so why not listen and use it? A concept I found interesting was the idea of thinking of your customer as the co-producer of the service and identifying the roles a customer can play. One paper summarises the roles as the customer, payer, a consumer, a competence provider, a controller of quality, a co-producer and or a co-marketer. But here are some behaviours of customers which are viewed as the customer's responsibility for optimising service delivery. The first is the need to be open and communicate the relevant information to the service provider and to help co-workers. The second is the sharing of problem solving where a client can take the initiative to resolve issues. 
Moreover, the customers can help each other, providing role clarity through team support, the provision of feedback to resolve ambiguity, self-soothe, provide modelling behaviours as described in Bandura's social learning theory. Further behaviours are the quality of tolerance to minor glitches and inconveniences, accommodation and receptiveness to the expert judgment of the service provider, advocacy, which is the promotion of the organisational image to the outside and spreading goodwill, involvement in project governance, which is taking an active role in the service's progress, and finally, personal dedication, which is conscientiousness, responsiveness and persistence. Many services have moved to self-service through self-service technologies, ATMs, self-service petrol pumps, airline check-in and bag drop, hotel check-in and check-out, automated filing of legal claims, online tax returns, electronic blood pressure machines, tax preparation software online, vehicle, online vehicle registration, online auctions, internet banking, and self-scanning at retail stores. If yours is an organisation which sees self-service technologies as part of its business model, then there are a couple of implications to that. Firstly, you need to recruit the right customers who have the right attitudes and agree to participate fully in their roles. Secondly, they need to be educated, read, socialised into their roles, so they appreciate the values of the organisation and acquire the skills and knowledge to interact with employees and other customers. Hence, some organisations offer customer orientation programmes. For instance, if you join a health club, you will be shown how to use the gym equipment and the spa. And another thing is you need to spell out the rewards of customers' efforts. Some may value the increased access and time and time savings, yet for others it could be about the value in monetary savings, or others yet might be looking for greater personal control over the service outcome. I'm coming to the end of this episode, and I hope you can see where value from your customers lies. In the next episode, I will examine customer experience from their experiential aims point of view. 